a sermon series for Advent. Advent are the four Sundays leading up to Christmas, so we have an Advent wreath. Two candles are lit because we're on the second Sunday leading up to Christmas. So kids, you just watch that wreath in, in every Sunday and more candles get you lit. You're like, oh, we're close to Christmas. So, and the middle one is for Christmas Eve uh, for that service. So um, we're getting close and we're in this series, How the Coming of Christ Shapes Your Identity. So today we're going to kind of do part two of that series. But I'd like to start by asking you a few questions, if I might, um, and maybe particularly for some of you, ch- you children, the kids. So kids, do you look like your mother or your father? What do you think? Who do you resemble more? Hmm. Look more like mom or dad? Um, what about um, any of you adults, you have your children. Some of you have children, right? Are any of them like, uh, like a mini-me, a mini-you, look just like you? You're like, and people say, they're the spitting image of you, right? Because family, you know, we pass on these genetic character traits and things. But maybe let's think about what memories you have. What memories do you have from childhood? Even kids, what are some of your best memories in childhood right now? And adults think way back. Wind that clock back. Like, what are some of my best memories from childhood? I remember our family leaving from South Florida on Christmas Eve after my dad, who was a pastor, did the Christmas Eve services, driving all night through the night to North Georgia to get to the rest of the family in time for Christmas morning so that we could open Christmas gifts. And I remember my dad sucking on a sugar daddy candy bar that was on a stick, like a huge one, so he'd stay away because it took him about 10 hours to finish that thing. That way we could get there. Um, I remember, uh, man, I remember lots of things. Um, I remember having to do dishes on Sunday afternoon, so my mom was like, I'm not doing them. This is my day of rest. Kids, you're on dish duty. I remember... My dad inviting a man off the street who was walking down the street and knocked on our door into our house for dinner because he didn't have any place to stay. He was walking along the road. During the dinner, my dad said, so where do you come from? And his answer was Joliet State Prison. I remember that. I remember going on a mission trip, several mission trips as a student, as a high school student with my church. Those were so formative and powerful, and I could tell you all kinds of stories from those, but I will spare you the time this morning. You have memories, too. Those memories and your family have shaped you. Um, Probably some of those are good memories. Maybe you've lived a, a pretty good life. You have a pretty good family that doesn't fight much, gets along well. You get good grades. Maybe your kids are well-behaved and you hug each other all the time and can't wait to see each other. Maybe like your family's great, maybe you just kind of have like one weird uncle or something. Or maybe your family's not that way, right? Maybe your family has a few good memories, but many that you would like to forget. Perhaps your parents were harsh. Maybe they got divorced when you were young and you remember that. Maybe you had a parent die at far too early an age. Maybe you come from a family that was abusive. Maybe maybe you basically raised yourself as your mom worked two jobs. Maybe 
during COVID and politics, your family has become alienated over differing views on things. Whether your experience has been a good one or a bad one, either way, nevertheless, it has built um, and shaped you into who you are. And this desire that we have to be part of family is part of the way God's made it, right? That's how humans work. There's families that come together and produce offspring, and then those families are there. And the Bible talks a lot about family because God designed family. And those family experiences shape your understanding of God's family. When the Bible talks about family and talks about God as a father and talks about being part of his family, your experiences, for better or worse, are filters through which you have to understand that. And I think it's easy to assume two false beliefs. The first one is this. I'm a pretty good person from a good family, so I deserve to be in in God's family. And the second false belief is, my family's pretty messed up, and so I'm probably too messed up for God, and he wouldn't want me in his family. Neither of those are true. Listen to what we're about to read this morning. Listen for how it is both shocking and wonderfully hopeful. Only going to be a couple of verses. John chapter 1, verses 11 through 13. The words will be on the screen. This is the word of God. And it says, he, referring to what was in verse 1, the word, whom is Christ, Jesus, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Spirit of the living God, I pray that you will bless the reading of your word. Use it to shape our lives and our identities, I ask, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Amen. What I am proposing to you all through these sermon series is that Jesus Christ shapes your identity, but today what I'm proposing to you is that Jesus Christ shapes your identity by inviting you into the family of God. He shapes it by inviting you into the family of God. Now, Christ's coming might be shocking in what we just read in this way. It might be shocking since what he just said, what John just told us about Jesus, is that you are not naturally a child of God. That might be shocking. You might be going, what do you mean? I thought everybody was a child of God. Isn't that true? Aren't we all children of God? Well, yes and no. Well, thanks for clarifying that, Pastor. Okay, what do you mean by that? Yes, we are all God's children in this sense. On the one hand, since God is the creator of us all, we all come from him. He's begun everything. And so sometimes people refer to mankind as God's children. Even the Apostle Paul in his speech in Athens in Acts chapter 17 goes around and sees this and says, I see how you talk about us being God's offspring. And he says, since we are God's offspring, then you should be aware of that and repent and turn of your ways and seek him. So yes, in one sense, all people are God's offspring. All people are God's children. But in another sense, on the other hand, what John is talking about is something that is clearly different, clearly a special sense, because he is saying it's not from physical descent. It's not the normal way people make kids. 
What he's saying is that there is another way to be a child of God, and that, must, and that is being born of God. In other words, he's saying you need a birth certificate that only God can issue. He says you have to be born of God, talking about a spiritual birth, a spiritual rebirth to be brought in as a child of God into his family. Now, kids who are here today, you are in church right now, right? Just shake your head like this. Yes, because that's true. You are in church. Okay. And some of you growing up in this church were baptized as babies, okay? And so you were baptized into the name of Jesus. It could be easy for you to think, I'm in the family. Here I am. I go to church. That's what I do. But you still have to believe in the name of Jesus. You still have to own it. You need to put your faith, your trust in Christ as your Savior. It's not automatic simply because you come to church. I can't automatically make my old car that's got 240,000 miles in it become a nice new Mercedes by parking it at the Mercedes dealer. That's not how it works. Right? Just because you're here, your association does not mean that you are a child of God. It means you're a child of the covenant. And you have all the rights and blessings. And you should look to God and go, okay, yeah, I believe. And adults, same thing for you. You can't assume just by association that, well, that makes me, that makes me a child of God, a Christian. No, it, it's different than that. Jesus said, or or John writes here of Jesus, and said, many did not receive him. And it says, okay, for those who do not receive him, they are not children of God. And if you don't receive Jesus, if you are not a child of God, as John says, then there's something you need to understand. That means that the life you live now is the best it ever gets. This life is the best it ever gets. But if you do receive Jesus and become a child of God, this life is as worse as it possibly can be. It only gets better from here. As God pours out his blessings, as God restores and renews uh, earth into the new heaven and new earth and makes it perfect without war or suffering or sorrow, a place that we can enjoy for eternity, explore, adventure in, It's not angels floating on toilet tissue and clouds. That's not at all the way the Bible talks about heaven. I mean, I think one reason we don't think so much of heaven is because our imaginations are just captivated by phones. And we're like, oh, this is cool. And we can't possibly imagine the glory and beauty of a new earth that is to come. I mean, think of what C.S. Lewis was doing when when he wrote and wrote his great stories, the Chronicles of Narnia, right? I mean, he has the kids walk through the wardrobe into Narnia and they are eternally amazed in awe and wonder. Right? That, that's like, that's how we need to be captivated by that. It's a great thing to be part of the family of God. So Christ's coming should shock you in that sense that you're not naturally a child of God. That it's something that you have to believe in. And that's why the second point is Christ's coming should be very hopeful that you can be a child of God. 
How? How is that possible? You may think your, your family experience is too messed up. You just, maybe you've blown it. You've done some really dumb or stupid things or things that were hurtful to others and harmful and you're, you carry a lot of guilt and shame because of that. And you think, I don't know. Like, really? Is God's love really that good? Is it really that big, that deep, that wide? I mean, God doesn't know what my family life is like. The Bible tells us that God knows everything, first of all. But do you know what Jesus' family life was like? I mean, if you think your family's been through rough goes, uh, remember a little bit about what Jesus was like. I mean, let's just consider these things. Mom, who experiences a teenage pregnancy like no other, right, because an angel tells her she's going to conceive a child divinely by God doing it, not through the normal human way. And then she has to tell other people that. And they're like, you're cuckoo. The husband, her husband-to-be, whom she's engaged to but not yet married to, Joseph, knows he's not the dad, but does stay with the family and believes. They have to go to their hometown because the governor issues a census, right? And so this is what we read in Luke 2 in the story, if you want to read that. And they have to go to their hometown for the census. So Joseph has to go to his hometown, takes his bride-to-be to go to the hometown of Bethlehem. And do they get to stay with family when they arrive? Nope. Why is that? I don't know that we really know. It doesn't specifically tell us. But if he's going to his hometown, presumably he's got aunts, uncles, cousins, parents, somebody around there. Hey, can we stay with you? I don't think that's going to be a good idea. And, And if that's what happened, that is shunning. Because in ancient Near Eastern culture, still today, if you go to a place, you can be walking in a field by a a Bedouin's tent, a shepherd, and he will invite you in because hospitality is a must. For them to not have them at their house, if that was the case, the family's like, they're alienated. Then, okay, let's stay at a motel. Nope, it's full. Where are we going to stay? How about in the stable behind with the animals? Okay, that's where we'll stay. Then Jesus is born there, right? Put in a manger, right? We're told, right, where the animals are and looking over them. Then who are his first visitors? His first visitors at birth are shepherds from the field. As far as we know, it's the shepherds that come first. We're not told that people out of the motel hear what's going on and come down to see what's going on. Though maybe they did later, but that's not what the scripture wants us to know. It wants us to know that shepherds come. Why? Who are the shepherds? Man, the shepherds are like nobodies. The shepherds are in the field at night watching the sheep for a reason because that's the job that they can get. Their testimony was not reliable in court, but they get to be witnesses of God entering the world in the flesh. They're not allowed to go into the temple because they're unclean because of what they do. They're ceremonially unclean, but instead God comes to them and says the shepherds can come. We don't know much about Jesus' childhood. We do know that he went to a synagogue or church, right, his, his place of worship. We also know that the town he grew up in, sketch, bad reputation. I mean, the people said, what good can come out of Nazareth? And that's where Jesus was from. 
I mean, think of this. Like, this is your childhood growing up in your family. This is how your family's known. And you're like, I think I'll just go around and then tell everybody, yes, I'm the son of God and change the world. His brothers think he's crazy. Like they do. Like when he starts his public ministry, when he's older and he starts walking around healing people and teaching and calling people to follow him and saying, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Christ. His brothers are like, oh my gosh, he's totally lost it. His family life was very different. And maybe understandably so, because he was different. All that to say, whatever your family life is like, Jesus already knows. And it's not scaring Jesus off. He still came to earth. Verse 12 said, all who believe in his name. All who believe in his name. What does Jesus do? He goes and he invites all kinds of people. What kinds of people? All kinds of people. I mean, just listen real quickly off the top of my head. Zacchaeus. Call Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector, which meant he's kind of like a mob accountant because he's Jewish but a tax collector for Rome, and so he's a traitor in that way, sending tax revenue off to Rome, skimming it off the top, taking some for himself, padding his pockets, Way you look down on, and Jesus says, come to me, you're going to follow me, I'm going to your house today. And Zacchaeus does, and he becomes a follower of Jesus. The sexually scandalous and immoral, there's numerous stories of Jesus and and people in that situation, like the woman at the well in John chapter 4, if you just flipped a few pages over in your Bible. Or the demon-possessed crazy people, like the guy in Mark chapter 5 in the region of the Gerasenes that's sitting there and he's cutting himself and he's naked and he's got chains hanging off of him because they can't contain him. And Jesus sets foot on ground and casts out demons and says, okay, come follow me. And he does. Or the zealots. Some of Jesus' disciples are noted as the zealot, meaning they are political revolutionaries wanting to overthrow the government. And he says, come follow me. St. Paul, right, back in our study of Acts, we're going to get back to that in January, is a murderer. Jesus says, you're going to follow me and be a missionary for me. All kinds of people, all who believe in his name are welcome. And to believe in one's name is to believe in them as a person, right? To believe in a name is not to believe in a In a philosophy, it's not to say, give me good four life practices that I can engage in that will really shape me and for me, as good as practices are and habits are important. To believe in a name is to believe in a person. And when you believe in a person, you're believing in, in their character, who they are. And what we're being told here is to believe in his name is to say that you must believe in the person of Jesus because the only way God brings people into his family is in relationship to his son believing in his name what's the character of Jesus like his heart's overflowing with compassion so much so that he would not stay in heaven would not stay in the thrones of heaven with the Father, but left to come to earth because of his compassionate heart so that people like me and like you could know and believe in him. 
so that we could be forgiven of our sins. Loved and brought into the family. He comes to do search and rescue for us. It's like, I'm going to go search and find, and I'm going to rescue people. I mean, think of that. Now, let me just ask you the obvious question. When does one need rescue? When one's captured, lost, or in deep trouble, right? If we're going to admit that Jesus is coming to search for and rescue people, then one of the first things you and I have to admit is we need rescuing. Have you admitted that? Like, okay, God, I really do need you. Like, if your family's really good or it's not so good, either way, have you admitted, okay, God, I need you. I need rescue. On my own, I'm lost. On my own, I feel like I don't know what I'm doing. I'm directionless. Or on my own, yeah, I, I'm guilty. I've done a lot of wrong things. How can Jesus rescue you? Jesus offers a trade. His trade is that he is the one who has lived the perfect life that you and I are unable to live and then died in the place of people like you and me who are sinners to take away that debt and say, okay, I've covered it, it's paid for. And the trade is he takes our sin and our guilt and our shame and bears it, satisfying that debt. And at the same time, then, exchanges and says, okay, now you get my identity. You get the identity of family of God. You get the identity of in good standing with the Father. You get the identity of being seen as welcomed and loved into the family of God. That's your new status, who you are in family terms. You've been brought in. You've been adopted into the family of God. How do you get that? Good question. How do you get that? Is it by doing the right things? Being nice enough, kind enough? I mean, it is Christmas time, right? We should sing some more songs. Santa Claus is coming to town, right? That's a great one. Santa Claus theology, though. Love Santa Claus, but that song, terrible. Right? You're like, what do you mean it's terrible? I love that song. What does it say? He's going to find out who's naughty and nice, right? Right? You better be good for goodness sake. He's got a list. He's keeping a list. He's checking it twice to know who's naughty and nice. In other words, the only way you get good stuff from Santa is if you've been good. And if you haven't, sorry, no presents for you. That's Santa Claus theology, not Jesus theology. Jesus says... I am bringing you gifts and presents for you even though you have not been good because that's the way my heart overflows with blessing and love and kindness. Even though you don't deserve it, I'm going to change your life by giving you the greatest gifts you could ever imagine. And then how do you get that? you got to believe, right? To all who believe in his name. That's his name. That's who he is. It's to all for anybody who wants to. But you got to believe in his name. You have to actively trust Jesus. You have to fall into his arms saying, okay, I need you. Rescue me. There's a story that comes out of uh, World War II in the, term, in the days when the German bombers were blitzing uh, England. A father and his small son were on the run 
um, from a building that had been struck by a bomb and was getting ready to collapse and bombers are still coming over. There's smoke and fire everywhere. You can barely see anything. And they're running from it and there's a huge hole in the ground created by the bombers. And the father jumps into the hole as the fire and smoke is coming, billowing over them and the building's collapsing. And he looks up to where his son is, stretches out his arms and says, jump. As he sees the fiery sky and the silhouette of his son, And his son says, but I can't see you, Daddy, because of the smoke. And he says, that's okay. I can see you. Jump. And he jumps into his father's arms. That's believing, trusting, resting. Okay, here I come. That's what it looks like to believe Jesus to come into his arms, that he's greater, that he is the one who can rescue you, that even though when you can't see clearly, he can, and that he's got you in his arms, in his hands. And he says, welcome to the family. The Christian faith enables us to face life and to meet death because we know that God has us and he sees clearly. If you have not yet believed in Jesus before, My question for you is, will you do that today? Make today the day you believe in Jesus. Okay, Jesus, you are good. That's who you are. That's your name. I believe, I rest, I trust in you. Take my sin, forgive me. Bring me into your family. Make me a child of God. Do that today. It's easy and it's difficult. It's easy to say it, but it means you're surrendering. You're saying, okay, I need rescue. If you have believed already, you're a Christian and you're like, hey, I'm here all the time, this is what I do, then you need to remember this too. You need to remember this too because you are in the family by Jesus' sacrifice and his rescue of you. So stay humble. You didn't get there on your own. You got carried in. Stay humble. And if you're worried all the time that you're like, I I don't know, I've blown it again and I'm not good enough, maybe I'm going to get kicked out of the family, then you may be forgetting how you got in. You didn't deserve it in the first place. You got rescued and carried in. You're in the family. You're not getting kicked out. During Thanksgiving, my my daughter and her husband were here, along with other kids, right? And and so they got married in October, which is a little over a month before Thanksgiving. And uh, we were moving some things around the kitchen, preparing something, and there was this big vase um, and my son-in-law grabs the vase, and he's like, where should I put this? And I'm like, yeah, let's not put that there. We don't want that to break. And he's like, okay, and so we move it somewhere else, and he goes, yeah, that's probably good. I don't want to get exiled. And I looked at him, and I said, it's too late for that, buddy. You're already in the family. You can't be exiled. It's what God is saying. When he brings you into his family, you're my child. You're not being exiled. Believe it. It will shape your identity to be part of the family of God. Believe it. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that you will help us to believe that our identity truly is in you, that we can be part of your family and loved more than we ever thought imaginable, more than we ever dreamed possible. Lord, would you help us this day. For those who have never believed, maybe this is the day they say, okay, I'm ready. I believe.
meet them, show them your goodness and your loving kindness. For those of us who maybe tend to forget and think we're going to get kicked out of the family, Lord, would you remind us of your goodness to us, your overwhelming love for us? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.